the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 490 for Saturday, February 22nd, 2014. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Out, the show where you send in questions, you send in tips, you send in cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share some of our tips. We share some cool stuff found. And together, we all try to learn at least six new things about the Mac and Apple products each and every time we come together. This show is sponsored in part by Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash MGG for all of your hosting and website building needs. So check them out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Get you 10% off using the coupon code MGG. And the show is sponsored by Linda at Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MGG. And that gets you a free week of Linda's training videos. Access for the entire week. Linda.com slash MGG. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in balmy 50 degree Fairfield, Connecticut, I'm sweating, man. <laughs> it's John F. Braun. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been uh, unseasonably warm. I told the family we were just going to, you know, cash in the plane tickets. We don't need to go to Florida. So we're, we're, we're just going to stick around for the week. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get lynched by by, by even <laughs> suggesting that. But uh, but that's the plan. So, no, it's not the plan. We're going to head off tomorrow. Dave, we, you're the king, though. I, I saw the pictures, man. Uh, yeah, the afternoon, huh? Uh, well, yeah, we uh, we had I've been up all day. We got up really early this morning for a uh, youth hockey game. Thankfully, we don't have too many early mornings um, at uh, these days. But uh, but this is one of them. And then and then we wound up going out to lunch after uh, afterwards and watched uh, watched more hockey at lunch. They had the USA uh, Finland game on, which was a disaster for USA. But that's OK. So, John. Uh, I did something geeky this week. Actually, I, I did something geeky last week that was bad. And then this week I did something geeky that was good. I wanted to tell you about it. Um, you know, I, I run, uh, I run routers here, right? Buffalo routers uh, is, is typically what I, what I have. And I have one of them that is in access point mode uh, it, because it, bridge mode to, for, for, uh, for to put it in Apple terms. And, uh, and it's the one that sits in my office and I have Buffalo's firmware on there, but I wanted to put uh, this third party firmware that I like on there. There's no good reason to put it on there. This thing is is really a dumb piece of equipment it, in the way that I have it set up. It does nothing other than bridging wireless to wired. There's no smarts needed in this thing. It's just doing that. But, you know, I thought, wow, I'll just put it on there. It's easy. I've done it on all the rest of mine. This will be cake. Well, I got it on there. I did one configure. I rebooted and the thing would show up and broadcast the network, but I couldn't connect to it via wireless. I couldn't connect to it via wired. Nothing. So I'm like, oh, no, I like this thing. So I tried all the normal tricks and realized, no, this router is in in uh, in the mode that we call bricked. Right. And uh, that it, it would serve just as well as a as a boat anchor as it would as a router. Because it doesn't weigh enough, it would float. So, um, you know, it wouldn't even be a good brick at that point. So I was really bummed. And so I was reading and, you know, doing stuff. And, and I've always heard about people hooking up a serial cable 
to their routers when they're bricked because uh, a router is just a, a Linux machine and it uh, it spits out data to a serial console as most computers do when they boot up. The trick, of course, John, is uh, is getting access to that. And, and I'll say hello to everybody in the chat room. Uh, hi to Brian Monroe and everybody else there at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Brian asked, did I try to TFTP to it, which is a special way, uh, special transfer protocol that that routers tend to support. And yes, I had tried that and it just wouldn't work. Uh, I couldn't get it to respond to TFTP for some because it was in a weird configuration. So I thought, well, and I looked and I found online for like six bucks at Amazon. I bought a USB to serial adapter. And really, it's just a cable. It plugs into, obviously, a USB port. And then on the other end are four leads, uh, ground, uh, power. And you got to be careful with power because my router wanted 3.3 volts and this thing would spit out five. So that's bad. All right. So the device itself does not offer a serial port. You have to uh, no, take it, it apart. You have to. I opened it up and there were f- there was there was a, a, a four pronged header in there. Uh, okay. Okay. A lot of devices do that. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's JTAG or some other thing, but typically it's not right. available to the, to the, the casual user. Not to... casual at all. No, that's right. No, but yeah. And so JTAG would have been, if serial didn't work, then I could go JTAG, which is one level deeper, but the, there's no JTAG. There are JTAG pins. Uh, uh, there are JTAG uh, uh, solder points on there, but, but there are no pins on them. This with the serial for CFE, there, there were four pins, you know, sticking up. So uh, I connected transmit and receive to the appropriate ones and I connected uh, ground, but I did not connect the voltage because I figured, well, USB has got voltage on one end and, and this has it on the other. And, uh, and sure enough, I turned on the router. I, oh, and then I had to, had to set up a, a terminal program. Now I used a, a, I wound up using a piece of software called ZOC terminal emulator. Uh, you could do this from the terminal using a program called screen. Uh, if, you know, just a command line thing called screen, but I used a, a piece of software called Z O C, uh, and I'll put a link for those of you that are curious, but, uh, but it, uh, it, as soon as I turned it on and I had to set things up, right, John, it was like the old modem days. I had to set the, 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 uh, bit rate to one fifteen two hundred uh, eight N one and no flow control and all of that stuff that we used to have to mess with just to get a stupid modem to work back in the, back in the old days. So it brought all of that back. And, uh, and once I had it all configured, right, I turned it on and I saw a stream of, of, you know, what effectively was a Linux boot coming across my screen and I saw it load the firmware. And then, and then I saw the problem, but there was nothing I could do to fix it, except I could hit control C at the right spot, which is essentially the moment you turn it on. And then you get a prompt, for uh, CFE, which uh, uh, you do, you know about CFE, John? <sighs> Not off the top of my head. Okay, it it's it's similar to JTAG. I, I mean, it's like one step beyond. It's, it's the serial prompt, and and so there's there's a little bit of an interface you can do, and one of the things you can do is tell it, hey, let you know, let the a, a computer transfer a new firmware in, which is what I did. And I transferred the right firmware for this router in and, and, uh, and then it was totally fine, but it was totally geeky to have to, uh, to get all this stuff out. So, yes, a bit similar. Now I saw, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this here, but, but I saw this also, Dave. So you may have seen that, uh, uh, iOS update just came out to address a, uh, 
depending on who you are, uh, uh, could be considered somewhat of a, a major security concern with sure. uh, the implementation of SSL and TLS in iOS and Mavericks. Uh, and actually, uh, one of my colleague, one of our colleagues, uh, Glenn Fleischman, said, "Oh man, I just applied the uh, latest iOS update, and my phone's a brick." And he had to do something similar in that he actually had to put the phone. I think it's called DFU mode. Yeah, sure. Uh, he he had to get uh, and Apple has an article, and I'll I'll see if I can dig it up here. But yeah, after he applied the update, now I applied the update and everything was great on my my five S. But he uh, he bricked his phone. But uh, from what I understand, he was able to recover from it and. Uh, uh, We'll link to this here. It's a, there, there, there is a, a security issue, again, with iOS and uh, Mavericks that uh, may concern people. And uh, I'll, I'll grab a link to a, a good article if TMO hasn't already put one out. And if not, then I'm sure we will. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it, just to answer some questions that are in the chat room, which in, invariably are, are out there and, and to dispel any any concerns, uh, it was not a great surprise to me that putting this particular firmware on that particular device bricked it. This is a weird thing that Buffalo didn't really sell for all that long. And and it it I have it running in a mode. It's the WLI uh, D uh, H4D 1300. It was it was built to be a wireless access client. And so I've already put some funny firmware on there to turn it into an access point doing the opposite job. And then I was trying to put firmware on there that's for a similar but not exactly the same router. And that's when I bricked it. So um, I, I've, I've had really I've never bricked a router before. And I've been doing this custom firmware thing for 10 plus years. So but this one wasn't I, admittedly I, I should have known. Go, I kind of did know going in that I had a pretty good chance of putting the wrong thing on there because there's really nothing built for this particular router at all. But that, you know, that's how it goes. It's all good, but I will find the, uh, I will find the link to that, uh, that, that little serial adapter, but it made me think, John, going through this, uh, there's two things that you and I need to dig into one of them. And both are things that people used as serial adapters for uh, their, their routers. But, but these two things can do far more than that. And one of them is the Raspberry Pi and the other is an Arduino, A-R-D-U-I-N-O. And these are little external boards in the sub hundred dollar range, I think, uh, that can be really fun to play with. I think you don't. Do you have a Raspberry Pi, John? No, I've heard of it. It's a it's a nifty little embedded, you know, tiny little uh, inexpensive embedded system, and people are doing all sorts of hobbyist, uh, yeah. hobbyist things with it. But uh, no, have 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 it dove, dove into that particular platform. Yeah, I, I think I think it would be fun things for us to uh, to get and play with. So I throw that out there. Getting uh, back on track, man. Well, we sort of are because you know we okay. we well we were talking about um, Wi Fi. And uh, hang on, let me get this in the show notes for us here. Okay, so uh, in in a conversation that John and I were having about Wi-Fi, uh, John uh, and I had different feelings about which was faster, 5 gigahertz or 2.4 gigahertz, uh, when you're connecting 802.11n and, and all else is effectively equal. And it led to a very interesting bit of discovery. Um it's it's interesting because five gigahertz isn't always faster. It should be. It should be a lot faster. 
but uh, but it's not always faster. So we did some tests, and and the issue is um, the, the 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 net is that Apple's initial um, time capsule and initial 802.11n five gigahertz products perform horribly uh, at over five gigahertz. And that's not how it should be. I don't know why it is that way, but, uh, but it is that way. So uh, you did some speed tests and I did some speed tests here too, John, but, uh, but talk through, talk through what you found. Cause you've got a, you've got a time capsule and a first gen time capsule, and then you've got a second gen uh, airport express. And then you've got a, a 2010 Mac mini and a 2008 MacBook pro, all of which support five gigahertz, but, not equally. Right. And the discussion was among, you know, some of us in the chat room and, and between you and I, Dave, um, there was a statement where I said the, the, the there was a statement made at some point by somebody. I, I, I forget who, <laughs> but it was like five gigahertz is, is always faster. And I'm like, wow, well, that's funny because. Based on the data that I have, Dave, I haven't seen that. And so here's what I did. So I did a very structured test here. So, so again, the equipment that I have is uh, so we got four pieces of equipment here: right. uh, MacBook Pro, early 2008, a Mac Mini, uh, mid 2010, a Time Capsule, first generation, and an Airport Express, second generation. So we got these four pieces of equipment. And so I ran a test using uh, something called iPerf, which is a, a Splend and, and there's an extension to it called JPerf, which adds a Java layer on it. But it's basically a tool that lets you run a connection at maximum bandwidth and it'll tell you, hey, here's your throughput. And the thing is, Dave, uh, the data that I got, which shocked me, well, well, well no, I, I learned something. And that's what we're all here for, right? Yeah. And I learned something. Because the thing is, the last time I ran the test, uh, I, I was uncomfortable with the statement that five is always faster because in my test, it was not. It was actually much slower. So when I ran my MacBook Pro early 2008, now, yes, it is older hardware. It doesn't support some of these multi-channel things like MIMO is one term that people toss around here. Um, I, I consistently saw much lower throughput on five gigahertz with both my base stations when I was using my MacBook Pro early 2008. It was always slower. So yeah. that's why I was uncomfortable with the statement that five gig is always faster because it can be, but it was not with this equipment. But then I did some more tests, Dave, and I found that when I started using my newer equipment, which was my Mac Mini and my Airport Express, which is is uh, you know newer and has you know the newer latest uh, you know both multi channel and some other not equipment. latest but but newer yeah not uh, newer. first gen yeah. So basically, uh, you know, I got a grid here. I think I'll take this you know result of my tests here that I did with iPerf. Uh, so it was basically running, so the computer that was the server for iPerf was always on gigabit Ethernet, so that was not the bottleneck. And then sure. the client was always using the wireless hardware in the machine at my disposal. And basically the conclusion I came to, Dave, is that with the older hardware, that with the older client, which is the MacBook Pro, and the older time capsule, first generation, 5 gigahertz, uh, to be honest, kind of sucked. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in that, in that case, uh, for me, for that, for my installation, it didn't make sense to lock it because the thing is, with that uh, time capsule, you have to lock it to either two point four or five. You you do not have a choice. Right, right. Um. So for my setup, it made sense for me to run at two point four because when I ran my benchmarks, two point four was always faster. Yeah. But with the newer equipment, five gigahertz came out 
ahead. Yeah. So w- what should happen, I, I, I think what, what the takeaway from this is what should happen. Now, again, assuming all your hardware is somewhat equal and within you know a few years of each other, what should happen is that the, the, the client, your computer, should make the right decision. Right. As we've as we've talked, it, the the advice from inside of Apple, not not the necessarily the public advice at Apple, although the, the, the setup software leads you down this path. But but certainly from the engineers at Apple, the advice is uh, set up all your networks with the same network name. So if you have a two point four gigahertz network and a five gigahertz network, give them both the same network name and let your clients your computers your iphones your ipads decide which one to connect to and they will get it right uh unless you're using an original time capsule the running five gigahertz in which case it will probably get it wrong because the speeds you know the speeds that you sent john were were very telling you know connecting um and you you have far and close in your tests but connecting from far away you were seeing uh, 35 megabits connecting to the time capsule at five gigahertz and 75 connecting to the airport express at five gigahertz. So, and I, and those are both two by two MIMO devices. So in, in theory, they should transmit the same, but they obviously don't. Um, and with your, your MacBook pro, which we believe is a one by one device. So it only has single antenna used um, at, at any given point in time. I think it has two antennas and it, it trades one for Bluetooth on or off, but, um, but you were getting 10 megabits far away to the uh, time capsule and, and better, but still not great. 25 to the airport express. Whereas connecting, you know, um, with the Mac mini, it's much better. So that's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I guess to me, so the, I, I learned something, you learned something, we all learned something, I think, or, or I'm going to post these results so we can all learn something here. But I yeah. think is for the most part, I think our advice, Dave, is let the computer or the client decide which band to select. But if you want to get geeky, you may want to try and set up a different 2.4 and 5 gigahertz network and see. And test it. Yeah. And, and just test it and see what, what numbers you got. I mean, it's not the end of the world if one's slower than the other and you didn't pick the right one, but uh, I prefer to get, you know, the best performance that I can from the equipment I have on hand. Right. And admittedly, some of my equipment is old. I mean, my, my MacBook pro certainly uh, could use a refresh. So, uh, and, and just to, to give, to give kind of the flip side of this, I, I, as I said, I use all uh, the latest and greatest Buffalo stuff here for the most part. I mean, some of it's a couple years old, but it's all three by three, which means it runs three radios, transmitting and receiving simultaneously, which is, and, and it is on par. Uh, I'll say it's on par. So you might argue Buffalo's better than Apple or Apple's better than Buffalo. But uh, in terms of this stuff, they're, they're close enough that I'll call it even that the latest and greatest airport extreme from Apple as it matches what I get now, you know, with, with these Buffalo routers. So uh, my two by two MacBook air 2011 Again, two by two, meaning it has two radios sending and two receiving uh, potentially anyway, simultaneously Um, sitting close by at five gigahertz. I'm getting, you know, 120 megabits per second and um, 
And then, you know, far away was, was kind of more in that, that 75 uh, to 90 range. So it's uh so it, it does pay if, if you are using a lot of Wi-Fi, it does pay to update to one of the newer three by three routers uh, that are out there. Even if you don't need 802.11 AC, all of my routers in my house, all of my wireless access points are 802.11 AC compatible. I don't have a single 802.11 AC client in the house unless you count the one little thing that I use to test 802.11 AC once. But I ne- it's not part of the, the setup here, but it's still worth it to me to run those routers. And I run them in dual band mode, just like you would with an Apple. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I think what I may do. And that Dave- stuff's cheap. Less than 200 bucks. Way less. Right. I think what I may do, I, I think, well, I got two options here. So one is to just ditch the time capsule because it's first generation and its performance is, uh, in my humble opinion, substandard. <laughs> I, I agree. I had turned off the, I have the time capsule just to run it as a time capsule, but I, um, I turned off the radios on that a year and a half ago. Yeah. So I think I may just ditch that and take my airport express, which right now I have as an extension downstairs. And I think I may bring it upstairs because Although it doesn't have as many Ethernet ports on it, that doesn't matter because right now I'm only using one uh, of the LAN ports and I have it connected uh, to a, a gigabit switch. Yeah. So, and, and actually in my tests, I did that. I, I swapped it out and, and I got better performance. So I think I may just take this thing, yank the drive, throw it in my Drobo, you know, because I'm not using it for time capsule anymore. Right oh. now I use my Synology right, for the right. time capsule. So the thing is, I'm really not, you know, I, I, I store some stuff on the drive and, you know, it's shared as a network drive, but I think I may just ditch it and maybe I'll get maybe not the AC maybe 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 one a version or two before it but definitely one that has more modern Wi-Fi hardware I would so. I would I would I would highly recommend getting the AC for exactly the no, reason I just said have SNMP yeah you don't need that or, well, or I wait, wait if you want that <laughs> then don't buy Apple buy you know get get one of these buffaloes right. and run um I mean, you can run Buffalo's firmware. Their firmware is really good. And if I wasn't such a geek and and a freak about this DDWRT firmware, uh, I would I would run the Buffalo firmware. It's really good. But but if you want to run really geeky stuff, run DDWRT. Don't buy Apple. The Buffalo stuff is is awesome. It is at least as good as Apple stuff, arguably better in terms of performance. And then add on the ability to get geeky features. And it's a done deal. There's a reason that I I sound like a shill for Buffalo. They don't pay me to say this, you know. Uh, well, it sounds like they make really good stuff. They, and actually, I had a Linksys with DDWRT until it rolled over in the, I think, the power supply or some power-related component. It, it just didn't turn on one day, and it made me very sad. So, yeah. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, our first sponsor for this show is Squarespace at squarespace.com. If you visit them at squarespace.com slash MGG, they'll know we sent you. And then if you use coupon code MGG, they'll give you 10% off of whatever you buy there. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, man, I blew it on the cough button there. Uh, the way Squarespace works, you might think of them as a hosting company, and it's true. They are. They, uh, they have the ability, and they do. They host websites there, and they've got a killer infrastructure that works brilliantly. But it gets better than that. Not only do they host your website... They allow you to build your website right there inside your browser. You start with a template uh, and they have these beautiful templates. They, they literally take months 
building each one of these to make sure that whatever template you choose for your website is a compatible with any other website you might have built at Squarespace. So you can actually mix and match without it looking like you mix and match, but your content all stays there. Uh, so you can change templates at any time, but they also work on all browsers, including all mobile browsers. And every one of their templates is optimized for an iPhone. If in fact, somebody browses with an iPhone. So it's, it's this holistic experience where you just go to squarespace.com slash MGG. And before you put, even put your name or, or password or anything like that, in, you just start building, you pick a template and you go and, uh, and they'll give you a two week free trial uh, to get things going. And then when you're ready to buy, make sure you use coupon code MGG uh, to get 10% off. It's uh, you, hosting plans start there at eight bucks a month. And, uh, and again, you can get 10% off of that just by using our MGG coupon code, but check it out. I, uh, I host my personal blog, Dave, the nerd there. I host our fling website there, which is one of the bands I play in. Uh, I've mentioned it before. They have an awesome hook in with a e-commerce system within an hour, literally from the time I sat down at my desk and typed in squarespace.com. I had built and a store and, was selling tickets for an event that we were doing. Uh, it was a very simple store. We offered two types of tickets, an individual ticket or a family ticket. But, uh, but I was able to get all of it, including the whole credit card hook and everything. I didn't have to use my own merchant account. I didn't have to set up my own merchant account. It all happened through, uh, all happened through Squarespace. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. If you need to build any kind of website or even just want to take your blog and move it over there, they'll import your WordPress blog. They'll import all kinds of stuff. And then it's just there and it makes it really easy to use. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash M G G. And we do thank them for their support of the show. We really appreciate it. It's nice working with people that make good stuff. All right, John, take us to Don. I'm going to take you to Don. I love this one. This was great. And, and it applied to me, Dave, because it has to do with Yahoo email. And I'm a recent uh, convert. I know. switched over to Yahoo IMAP. Uh, the one thing I'll have a minor fish shake at Yahoo IMAP is that their spam filtering, um, based on my current experience, is, I don't know if I want to say is as dumb as a bag of rocks, but uh, it's getting close. It, it's certainly not as sophisticated as Google's in that it doesn't learn um, but this has to do with spam. So Don writes in and says, I wonder whether you could suggest a way for me to automate my way out of an annoying issue I have with my Yahoo Mail account in Maverick's Mail app. Uh, email.yahoo classifies as spam appears in a folder called bulk mail that Mail app sets up when I created my Yahoo account. Is there any way for me to set a routine with Automator or Apple script that would automatically send all email in Yahoo's bulk mail folder to trash when I launch mail app. I've never used either automator or Apple script, but this problem is begging for an automated solution. And so I am willing to try with either program. Thanks for your help. Well, I got good news for Don here. So my response to Don was as follows. And uh, so number one, my assumption was that he wants to get rid of the spam because it takes up space both on the server and on your local drive. Um, and I think that was a correct assumption. And I have a, but Dave, I have a solution for him that does not involve learning any sort of automator or Apple skip programming. Having worked with mail quite a bit and, and Yahoo as well. Sure. 
So at first, I thought he may be able to use a rule for this, but it turns out, although mail does have some rules that have to do with junk here, I, I experimented with that. And uh, as far as I can tell, the mail rules that have to do with junk are leveraging uh, mail apps uh, built-in junk filtering. So that's right. Was, don't go there. Yeah, you, well, you have to <laughs> enable that in order to then take advantage of those. That's right. Right. And that there's a rule that says if it's junk, do this or that. And the thing is, I, I did do that and it kind of screwed up my my mail setup a, a little bit. Sure. You know, it wasn't a biggie. And, and I take these risks for, for the listeners, Dave, because it's a burden that you carry, John, and we appreciate we, it. We love you guys. That's right. <laughs> of course, I do time capsule. So if I screw everything up, I can go back and undo yeah. the damage. So here's what I suggested. Um, and it sounds like it worked out. So first, you don't want to have a bulk mail folder. What you want to do is you want to highlight that and go in mail app. You want to go to mailbox. Use this mailbox for junk so that's step one um then step two uh, well then if he does that then what he should see in maverick's mail is under the mailbox in the sidebar under his mailboxes and junk he should now see that that is now under the junk classification so that tells you that you've done that operation successfully number two you want to highlight that mailbox now in the in the junk classification then control click and select get account info so this is going to get info that's relevant to that specific email account. And then you're going to see a number of tabs on the top. And uh, the tab that he wants to select to solve this problem, or anybody wants to select, um, is you're going to see something called mailbox behaviors. So click on that tab, and then there's going to be, and here, here's where we close it out here, a junk category, because you just classified this folder as junk. And then there is... A further set, uh, another setting that says delete junk messages when, and there are a number of options. And it sounds like what he wants, um, well, there's one which will be the quickest option, which says quitting mail. So what will happen is anything that's been classified as junk uh, will be deleted once you quit mail. Now, there's other options. I think it's a, a day, a week, or a month. Um the only the only caution here I would have again, the, the, and that's why I brought it up, is that uh, Yahoo's spam filtering or junk filtering uh, isn't that great, in my opinion. So I don't okay. think you want to, and that's why I didn't want to follow the path that he was suggesting: is anything in junk immediately moved to trash, which I assume would also be deleted in his setup as soon as he quit mail. Because the thing is, you're gonna see, and and Yahoo at this point now suggests. You know, they're not smart like Yahoo, and that kind of disappoints me. That's the only disappointment I have in that if I move things out of junk and put it in my regular mailbox, it keeps classifying stuff from that same sender as junk. And I'm like, guys, come on. Can't you learn? <laughs> and they don't. They suggest you actually create a filter. So for things that they continually identify as junk, you create a filter that puts it in your inbox rather than junk. So I um I I I I love Sanebox for that stuff because they uh they learn a lot about your your mail as you're as you're managing your mail with Sanebox and having it put, you know, newsletters in in this in the news folder and receipts and other stuff in like the the later folder, but it watches your spam folder too and it will create a little uh, effectively a notification throughout the way Sanebox works that that says uh this might not be spam. You should take a look at this. And it's, it's eerie how good it gets um, with that stuff. And it's really nice. I've almost gotten to the point where I, 
don't look through my spam. I certainly don't look through my spam as often as I used to, arguably not as often as I should. But uh, but anyway, I, I throw that out there because I, I couldn't live without SaneBox. So. Yeah. So yeah. I tossed this out and uh, and I got a message back and he's like, that's exactly what I was looking for. That's so, awesome. Although although he he was probably looking for the adventure of learning Apple Script or Automator, you don't need to in this case. In, in this rare case, mail app <laughs> has, uh, because a number of people have fish shakes about mail app, especially in Mavericks. But in this case, it did what he needed. So that yeah. makes me happy. That's good. That's as it should be, right? Um. You know, John, I, I figure this is as good. You know what? Uh, let's let's jump around a little bit. We're on the subject of email. Uh, what, take us to Chris, because this is a, as good a time as any to to dig in and, and get right, this email stuff right. I got to go into preview and I got to bring up Chris. And, you know, yeah, no, it's a good one. All right. So Chris wrote in. And again, a good thread, email yeah. thread. And he says, I have a Gmail account and I, I won't reveal the uh exactness of it here but i have a gmail account something at gmail.com i seem to remember somewhere that gmail does not recognize periods within an address recently i received several emails in italian since i know no one in italy i just deleted them with the latest missive i noticed that the two was not to me but to some other unknown person expanding the address i found that the two was something dot something at gmail.com so so it let's a, let, 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 let me let me translate that. His email address is first name last name at gmail.com altogether. Like like Dave Hamilton at gmail.com. Whereas the one that this email was sent to was Dave dot Hamilton at gmail.com. Go on. Right. Well it's exact it's not exactly his first and last, but it's a it doesn't it's matter. A, it, 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 it's something that yeah. That's as good as an example as, as as our listeners need. It's 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 clear. Right. Go. So he says it is a bother, of course, to get email you do not want, and I can't read it anyways. Well, you could if you went to Google Translate or any translation engine, but is it possible that the other guy slash gal is getting my email? Good question. Had this, I have had this address for many years, and as you can see by the address I'm using here and my Twitter account, I feel rather protective towards. And then he gave a mixed case representation of this same uh, something at gmail.com. And here's the answer, Dave, is it just doesn't matter. So it's like that uh, Bill Murray. We, I, I should have had it queued up. I wish I had known you were going to say that because, you know, this that whole thing for meatballs. It just doesn't matter. It just. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. So things, fortunately, the good folks at Google have an article called receiving someone else's email, which I sent to him. And they explain exactly what is happening here. And the reason I say it just doesn't matter is it doesn't matter, at least the way Gmail handles email addresses. And they give a, a fine example here uh, from our friend Homer Simpson, Homer J. Simpson. Right. I'm not sure what the J stands for, but um, and, and the example that they give, I think, explains it all. So home.er.j.sim.ps.on is the same as Homer J. Simpson, all in caps, is the same as capital Homer dot capital j dot capital simpson at gmail.com and that what i said is trying to encapsulate this it doesn't matter gmail at least gmail considers all of these the exact same email address right? that's awesome 
And, uh, and, and in, in episode 209, Homer revealed that uh, the J in his middle name stands for J, J-A-Y. <laughs> Just here to help. Okay. So what he's running into, and, and it's the reason I actually shut off my prior, you know, it was John Braun or John Braun or whatever at gmail.com, is I was getting all of these emails for this other John. And, and they're, believe it or not, there are a number of John Brauns. And I should have gotten well i should have gotten well no i'm serious the reason i use john f braun is because i know yeah there are a lot i mean john braun is a pretty generic german name it's brown you know so um the thing is and i i can't that's why i shut it off it it was it was getting annoying because in addition all the spam i was getting stuff for teachers named john braun for lawyers for i was getting all sorts of stuff that wasn't for me. It was someone who I don't know why they gave the address out. They thought maybe they owned it, but they didn't. Well, I'm going to explain something to you because I have um, when Gmail first launched, uh, I was not able to get in and get Dave Hamilton at gmail.com. And I was super bummed about that because I don't know why the ego stuff. Right. Uh, however, I was able to get Dave dot Hamilton at gmail.com. Now this was 2003, something like that. Uh, then something, somehow they expired. They, 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 then they changed their tune. So initially the dot mattered and it made a difference and then it didn't. And somehow I won uh, because I now own Dave Hamilton at gmail.com. But I do get mail there just like you do, you know, at, at your John Braun um, for people all over the place. So much so that what I had to do was uh, I don't use that account. So I put an autoresponder on it saying uh, this isn't the Dave Hamilton you're looking for. But I have no way of getting your email to the Dave Hamilton that you're looking for because I don't know his email address. And there's multiples. But there is one guy in, in like the Seattle area that works at a theater company and uh and it, I started getting emails asking, you know, would you trade um, shifts with me and stuff? And uh, and I kept writing back to these people saying, I'm not the I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. Uh, this is before I put the autoresponder in. And then one day I just replied and I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll trade with you. And I figured that would probably uh, trigger the the conversation that needed to happen about what email address is actually your email address. I know a little bit bad, but. Oh, the funniest thing. I think you told me this one time, Dave, but I, I didn't do this. But I, I, there there was a and I found the guy. So there's a teacher out there at a, at a university somewhere named John Braun. I think it was, sure. he's actually John M. Braun. OK, because I would do the research and find it. Now, I don't know if he was giving out the address or the students misheard him. But sure. You know, well, I, that's what it that, is, is people mishear. I, I mean, I th- you know, I think that's that's the issue. I'm pretty sure the guy knows because I would get excuses is. from people like, oh, Mr. Braun, I can't make it to class tonight. And I think it, you you suggested to me as, as kind of a goof. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry you failed. Yeah. You can't make the class tonight or I'm sorry you submitted your paper late. <sighs> I, there's nothing I can do. I, you're, you're, you, you failed your class, but I, I'm not that mean. No, you're not that guy. Thank goodness. You're not that guy. <laughs> What's next? Uh, you know, we had, uh, that great show that we did with Jim Tannis about, um, the, uh, the whole ripping of movies and, uh, and all of that good stuff. And so I, uh, We'd heard back from a couple of people about this, and there's a couple things. Number one, there's an excellent episode 
of the iMore podcast from, I think, like September-ish, not that long ago, where Renee and Don Melnick chatted about Don's method for converting uh, and transcoding video and all that stuff. And Don used to work at Apple. He essentially, he built a lot of stuff. He built Mail. He built Safari. And, you know, he managed the teams that did, too. And uh, and he he's sort of the one that built Apple's uh, mechanism for transcoding for iTunes. So he's kind of the guy that, that, you know, that, that has, that has done all this. So it's very cool. And I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to listen to, to that episode. Thank you, Allison, uh, for sending that through. Uh, but listener Lee said, yeah. And, and Don's thing is super geeky. Uh, you got to use, you know, scripts and, and terminal commands and all that stuff. Uh, but you'll get awesome videos that match basically what you would buy from the iTunes store and you can rip your own Blu-rays and, and, and do that stuff. So, uh, but listener Lee said, yeah, this is all good. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, the advice you gave is accurate and, and valuable. He said, but, um, well, I'll read you what he said. He says, to be honest, my use case, uh, is more complicated than most. I teach media production at a university and we get every flavor of video in the front door from pro cameras, DSLRs, phones, legacy video capture boxes, medical, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, I've, I use PavTube, P-A-V-T-U-B-E. It's 60 bucks. Uh, he says, and over the years, PavTube has proved itself use able to deal with every case. I can only recall one time it didn't work. He said, uh, since the topic of video conversion comes up regularly and is always accompanied by confusion, a list of apps to download, several steps to integrate all the pieces, problems with DRM and so on, followed by the exact same discussion six months later, he says, I figure the message is getting lost on people. He says, certainly Handbrake is free and it does a great job for the enthusiasts who want to highly compress playback outputs. But if you want a more comprehensive one-stop shop tool and a wider range of output formats, then PavTube is a good choice. And he's right, especially for ripping Blu-rays. You know, we talked about it. you've got to use make MKV to make the MKV file and then take that and feed it into Handbrake and all of that stuff. He says PavTube is uh, it really PavTube in the end is only 10 bucks more because uh, you've got to pay 50 bucks for make and make, make MKV. And uh, so you can find that at PavTube.com. So thank you for that. And we will certainly put that link in the show notes. Uh, and you're rightly, you know, the easy button is a good button to push. And it sounds like uh, you found PavTube is is exactly that. And then uh, in our very last show, um, Caleb, Caleb had a uh, had a comment. It says regarding your comment about the lack of good free VPN services. Says I have to say that I find justfreevpn.com has been perfectly adequate for streaming TV shows and such. They have servers in the UK, the US, and in Canada. The only slight annoyance is that their passwords change every day, but you can understand why, and they're posted right on the homepage. Says for the first time ever, I've actually snipped that part of a page into a dashboard dashboard widget, so I can quickly check it when required. Well. Uh, th- th- that, that is what it is, but, uh, just free VPN.com great free VPN for, uh, for, especially if you travel a lot and you want to be able to stream things from say your home country of the U S but if you're traveling abroad, you can't because the, all the licensing and all that. So that's, uh, that's how we like to do it. Have you checked out just free VPN, John? I imagine uh, it will be something worth using. Just free VPN is also handy 
if uh, if you want to do something, you know, like we discussed in the last show, you know, using Tor to obscure or not just obscure, but change the IP address you appear to be coming from uh, just free VPN would would do that as well. Um, make sure you use it for legal purposes because and not illegal purposes, because the folks at just free VPN know who you are. And if they get a claim, they can turn that around and direct it to you. Whereas using Tor, no way to find you, at least in theory. That's what they tell us. So. Right, John? As far as I can tell. That's right. Yeah, as far as we know. That the, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So I want to talk about uh, Linda. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. Linda is one-stop shop for training videos for pretty much anything you might want to know. They have over 2000 uh, videos, all of them, at least all the ones I've tested. I, I gotta be honest. I haven't tested all 2000 of them, John, but, uh, but I've looked at many and they're all really high quality. Uh, both audio and video is done really well. The production of them is done really well. And, uh, and they're taught, they find experts in the industry. They, these aren't things where the folks at Linda are just like, you know, crunching out videos in a sweatshop. They go out and they find and pay really, you know, knowledgeable and, uh, 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 and, and charismatic people, I'll say. Because these teachers, you want to learn from them. It's, it, they make it easy to learn. And uh, in any topic, they've got beginner to advanced courses. Um, the videos include... Uh, animations and diagrams and also a transcript of the video. So you can kind of stop and, and read. What did he say? You know, or kind of follow along that way. If that's an easier way for you to absorb information, they let you learn. I mean, they've got final cut pro videos. They have some logic videos, which I've been going through and am totally gaga over logic. Now, thanks to Linda's videos, I, I would not have grokked it otherwise, but uh, cause it's a totally different kind of way of thinking than, than, uh, than GarageBand and, and all of that. So uh, Logic's there, Logic Pro. Uh, Chris Breen, I mentioned last time that Chris uh, did a, a Mavericks video, which he did. He's also got an iPad tips and tricks video out there. That's fantastic. Uh, business skills. I mean, you want to learn more about management, go watch a video or watch 50 videos. There's just tons and tons of stuff out there. And, uh, and, and they've offered... For you, listeners of Mac Ecab, seven days for free, 100% free. Visit lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G, and your seven-day free trial starts right then and there. You could watch 24-7 for seven days if you wanted. You can stream to your iPad, stream to your Mac, however you want to do it. And uh, that's lynda, L-Y-N-D-A.com forward slash M-G-G. Let's you start your free trial. You can access everything. Nothing is limited there. You just press play. And stream and you can watch every video has a, a trailer and you don't even need to sign up to see the trailers for the videos. Uh, but it really gives you a, I, I recommend watching the trailer before you commit, you know, two hours to a video because it'll give you a real quick, you know, 90 to to 200 second version uh, of what the what it's going to be about. And the trailers are done by the people that, that did the full video. So you get a feel for, okay, yeah, I like the style. I like the way this looks. I like the way this person talks. Great. I'm in, you know, and then you just press play on the thing and, and off you go. Have you messed around with Linda at all yet, John? 
I searched through it, Dave, and I, I did see. So, so I'm planning on watching. But they have several um, uh, aperture videos, which uh, yeah. I haven't. Uh, I haven't been doing my photo thing as of late here. But aperture is my primary uh, photography or photo management platform. And the last I looked, they had uh, you know people that I've seen that are experts in the industry with the videos, and uh, and they keep it up to date too. So even though you know even Aperture is kind of long in the tooth, and they haven't upgraded to Aperture four, but they have videos that I saw for Aperture three. But then they also introduce updated videos for the updates, like Aperture I think three point three, three point four. So. They're on it. You know, they're not just putting out videos and then they're, you know, or training and saying, well, we're just going to ignore it until the next major update. They're, right. They're, they're on it. So the, the, that's, uh, I think, very impressive. Yeah. And, and you know, they say they have 2000 videos. They've been doing this for uh, well over a decade. And uh, the, the 2000 videos are what's currently on the site. They expire the old ones that are no longer relevant. So it's not like they, you know. Uh, th this number is not a, a phonied up number. They actually have 2000 relevant active videos out there and they're constantly updating the library. I know because I, I know several people that do videos for Linda and uh, and it's just, you know, they, they get a lot of work, which is good. That's how it should be. So check it out. Lynda.com slash M G G. All right, John, we had uh, we had an interesting question from Craig come in. Craig mm. writes and he sent us some screenshots which confirm what he writes. He says uh lies. Yes. Yes, your computer <laughs> lies to you. Well, your iPad's a your your iPad's a computer too. And uh and he says my iPad says I have 3940 unread emails. And sure enough, he's got, you know, the mail icon that says 3,940. He says unfortunately that's not the case. I get a few emails a day and was clearing them out on this iPad a few minutes ago when suddenly I have 3,940. I have the usual zero emails on my iPhone says I always keep my iDevices clear of all email and only file email on my iMac. I went to my email server and cleared out the last few that were really there, but my iPad still says I have 3,940. If I go to the mailboxes within the mail app on the iPad, all the mailboxes, including the trash, are empty. I can't see a single email because I don't have a single email in my account. But when you look at the next screenshots, you'll see my iPad thinks there's 3,940. John, you're right. My computer is lying to me, he says. So this is an interesting problem. Uh, I have seen it before on my device, uh, and you are not alone, Craig. There are two solutions to this. Uh, well, there's a solution path and, and we will we will try them in steps. The first step is uh, you got to get mail to uh, resync its cache. It 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 caches the number of emails that it thinks are unread and displays that on the icon and will update that icon or should update that icon uh, for you. But it doesn't update that icon every time you turn on your iPad it caches that number in a file and only updates it when it checks email so that it's not burning up your network connection and, and wasting time and, and battery and all that good stuff. Uh, so you got to force it to reset that cache. One way to do that. And the first way I would try is to go into settings, find the account that uh, is misbehaving and disable mail for that account. So you just slide the little slider over that says no mail. Uh, then quit all the apps on the device, double tap, and then 
quit them all in that, you know, that, that, uh, that sliding view that comes up, double tap the home button, uh, and then slide all those things up, quit all the apps, uh, then re enable mail. And hopefully you're good to go. Uh, as it turns out, Craig tried that and that did not work, but that is the first thing that I would try when you're having this problem on an iPad. The second thing to try is instead of just disabling mail on the offending account, delete the offending account entirely from your iPad. Now I have to preface this by saying, make sure that data exists somewhere else. In Craig's case, we know that he archives his mail on his iPad. Everything's good. If you're using an IMAP mail server, then everything's going to be good. But if you're using pop or doing something semi non-standard, just make sure you know that that data is somewhere else. Delete uh, that account from your iPad. I would give your iPad a full restart. And the way to do that is to hold down the uh, power button. You probably know this already, but we'll tell you anyway. Hold down the power button at the top of the, uh, the iPad for 10 seconds. Then you get a thing and you can slide, turn it off, let it turn off. Then once it's off, hold down the power button again, start it back up. And then re-add the mail account. That will certainly reveal the, uh, the caches. And that uh, did solve it for Craig as he, as he found out. So good stuff. Talking about cleaning off iPads, John, my, uh, my daughter has, I think she's got a 32 gig iPad three, but she wanted to put some movies on it for the plane tomorrow. So uh, she was looking and she was low on space. Her camera roll had, I don't know, 3000 pictures in it or something. And was taking up several gigabytes of space on the device. And she just didn't need any of that stuff on there, but she had already imported this stuff and there was no obvious way inside of iPhoto to delete these photos. We tried to select it there. So I launched phone view from Ecamm networks, which is my, one of my favorite ways of, of mucking about there. Uh, she didn't have disc aid on that computer, which is kind of my other favorite way of mucking about in there. And I found that you launch phone view, you connect the iPad up and it finds it. See the pictures. We highlight the pictures. We hit the delete button. It says, Are you sure you want to delete these? I say, yes. And then it comes up and it says, I can't, but launch image capture the built-in app on your Mac. Okay. So we launched, uh-huh. yeah, I know. So we launched image capture and it shows, it shows up. The iPad shows up in there. You know, here's your iPad. Here's all the pictures highlighted all the pictures. Now you can't go to the edit menu and choose delete. You can't hit the delete key, but down at the bottom of the screen, very unassuming is a little, uh, you know, the, the circle with the line through it, the, 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 you know, no smoking, uh, little, little deal there. Uh, and so I clicked that and it says, you sure you want to delete these pictures? I said, yeah. And then it deleted them. That was it. Got them all off there. Way easier than uh, deleting them one by one on the device, obviously, or trying to use one of those tricks where you select multiples on the device or, or whatever. So, uh, so I wanted to share that tip that image capture can, uh, can delete photos off of your iPad or iPhone. Handy stuff. Who knew? I didn't. But thankfully, phone view did and told me, and that's how we learn. That's that. Now, if you can find a way to clear out your old messages, because if people send my daughter gets a lot of uh, uh, pictures and stuff, she and her friends send, you know, pictures back and forth using SMS. And she has three. I think she still does three gigabytes worth of uh, messages, uh, space being taken up by messages. And we have yet to figure out a way to, to throw, uh, to throw those away in bulk. 
other than just deleting one by one. Really? The, uh, I'm going to have to look into my notes here because uh, one of our... Uh, uh, I know there's a way. Yeah. One of our listeners, yeah, had had a similar problem. Uh, Stacy, I think. Hi, Stacy. Um, where, where her, she wasn't able to do an iOS update because there was so much space taken up by her device, including yeah. graphics and movies in her messages that it's like, I, I can't do this. Right. And I think she, she eventually got to the point where she was able to delete all of the movies and graphics and all that that were stored and taking up all that space. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I, and I, I just got to dig into it more, but we had gotten enough off of it with the pictures that she was able to get the movie on. And she's like, dude, you're good. You know, we'll figure this out another time. Like, but that's not how we geeks do it. She's like, yep. Thank goodness. I'm not a geek. I'm good. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I like it because image capture is one of these utilities that a lot of people overlook mm -hmm. for either photo management or also interfacing. I found Dave uh, with image scanners. A lot of times. And I think this has come up in the past. People are like, oh, gosh, my image scanner won't show up in OS X. What's up with that? And we found that a lot of times uh, image capture uh, has a special uh, uh, directory from what I saw when I researched this that has drivers for some uh, older uh, image scanners. So, yeah. hey, if your scanner doesn't work, uh, you know, if, if your Mac can't see your scanner, image scanner, you know, if you want to scan, well, whatever you're scanning. Uh, fire up image capture and you may see it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good little utility that you don't know it's there, but you should, but you should. That's right. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. All right. I love it when we get questions that, uh, like that one that, that make me, uh, oh, that one, that, uh, that, that, that was a question for my daughter, but I love it when I get questions that make me learn things. And, uh, and we got an email Seeming very unassuming email, John, from uh, listener David, who says, when I'm in an Apple store, I'm always impressed by the simple but sun stunning sales displays that they have. They use iPads to display the specifications on all the machines in the store. Customers can scroll through them. My question is, what app do they use to create these? I can't find anything that allows me to have a presentation with interactive tabs. All right. So. Turns out I did a lot of lot of research. It was fun. But uh, but this there's there. This was way more uh, information. And, and there's there's more secrets and lore and all this stuff. This this was a, a huge can of worms. But uh, turns out the app displaying these things is called Smart Sign. And it is Apple's own app. Uh, and it's a very special app. Uh, it also requires a very specially configured iPad to run. The iPad has a set of apps on it that does not include the App Store app, which is very interesting. Uh, it has six profiles installed and uh, perhaps some other special sauce that uh, causes Springboard to disable the home button. Because when you're running this smart sign app, the home button does nothing for you. Uh, the app is also location based and will only launch inside an Apple store. Uh but if you can somehow get yourself into an Apple store, which is pretty easy, and you can get an Apple Connect account, which is infinitely harder than just walking into an Apple store, you can install SmartSign at ss.apple.com. Uh, I tried logging in there with my developer account, and that did not work. Uh, presumably, you, you have to be an Apple employee to do this. There also is reportedly 
Although no one has divulged what it is. There is reportedly a secret gesture that you do on the screen with your hands or whatever that will re-enable the home button, but nobody's talking about what that is. So I find it hard to believe that there actually is this secret gesture because there's plenty of disgruntled ex-geniuses from Apple stores. And if it's one gesture for all iPads, any one of them could divulge it secretly and it would never come back to them. Um, so that's, that's both a, uh, um, an invitation <laughs> if you, if you want to, uh, divulge that. But, uh, but I also, my guess is there is no secret gesture. So there's a couple of links I found and one guy figured out to hold down, uh, the, the power button is when in those smart displays, in those smart signs, the power button is obscured by the, by the, the Lucite case that it's in. But if you hold, if you push really hard on the upper left-hand corner, it will, um, you can push the power button in and get it to reset the, the iPad. And then you can launch back into springboard, but the home button is still deactivated. So if you launch an app, it will, uh, you can't get out of that app anymore. So, um, so, you know, be, be, be forewarned. So there you go, but we'll put some links into the, uh, into the show notes. Uh, the folks over at, I download blog did a great, uh, sort of expose on that, if you will. So, yep. So there you go. Yeah. Yes. Should we go to um, Michael? That's a quick one. Yeah, go. Do that? Sure. That's yeah. next. Before we do that, though, I, I I just wanted to toss this out here from uh from our esteemed uh, colleagues in the chat room, which we were mentioned is uh, at beckygap.com slash stream, but uh. Both uh, uh, Sean and Melissa and a few others have mentioned that Preview is another app that is very useful. And a lot of people just don't. Uh oh, sorry. <laughs> Got to turn down the volume on that thing. But um, Preview is another app to, like Image Capture that has many features that are hidden. So if you haven't looked at Preview, check Preview out. Preview is, in my opinion, a hidden gem, Dave. And that it is a, way more than just open documents and let you uh, uh, view them. It can do a lot more. So anyways, Michael has a question here, and uh, the answer is pretty simple, I think, and it's kind of disturbing, but uh, I'm vamping here because uh, I don't have the question in front of me. Okay, so um, Michael said, um, now where is it? I got to cut out the fluff here. Uh, well, I guess here's Michael's question. He's like... I can't see the verify backups option when I look at a time machine backup. The thing is, I think we mentioned in previous episodes, Dave, that if you click on the time uh, time machine backup icon in the menu um, and you hold down the option key, you will see a verify backups option. And every I, I now see, and, and I, I see it on this machine. But uh, and of course you do, and I'm going to tell you why, Dave. Well, I did a little research on this, and and this is the best conclusion I could come to. If you can come to a better one, please let me know, my friend. But the thing is, I'm I'm seeing this too on my machine. So you hold on option. Now the thing is, sometimes, uh, to backtrack on this, uh, sometimes you may notice that your Mac is generating lots of disk activity, and you have no idea why it's doing this. I've seen this on my MacBook Pro, Dave. And I don't know why. And sometimes I will go to the time machine menu 
and it'll say, oh, I'm verifying your backup. And I'm yeah. not sure exactly what it's doing. Sure. But it'll say in the menu, verifying backup. Wonderful. But you can also manually uh, launch this operation. But here's the problem, Dave. So I found an article from Apple, and 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 I don't know if it's a finger wag or a fish shake, but there's an article called OS X Mavericks Verify Your Backup Disk. And it says if you want to verify if you want to back up to a network disk. Okay. Did you notice that term network disk? Sure. Good. <laughs> Time machine periodically verifies that your backups are in good condition. This scheduled verification happens automatically. To do a verification at any time, open the time machine menu in the menu bar, press the option key, then choose verify backups. Did you notice what was missing in that description there, Dave? There's no way to do a verify backups on a local drive. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Well, they, you wouldn't need to. It, it, because, well, it, you would think that you would need to, right? Because it, it stands to reason that you might want to verify the backups. But verify backups in Time Machine is a very misleading term. What verify backups does is it verifies... Tell me, brother. I'm it, wondering. Yes. Yeah, it, it verifies the structure of the sparse image bundle or sparse bundle image that only exists for network drives. When you back up to a local disk, it's just backing up to the file system on that disk and that's it. And you could easily verify that file system with disk utility all day long. Right. But with the, with the sparse bundles that are out there on network drives, those are a completely different beast. It's a completely different format than it uses when it's backing up locally. And so that's all it does. It is not verifying that your data is good. It's not verifying that your data matches uh, the backup data matches your actual data. Nothing of the sort. It's just verifying that the sparse bundle does not have any corruption. That's it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I, I didn't know that. And now I do. So so you and I piece together. Yeah. The, we put together the pieces of the puzzle. That's to right. This mystery. So it, and and we got a response saying, well, that's kind of stupid. What a what a terrible description of why this happens. And I agree, you know? I mean they 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 why why even show it if it's not a valid option? I don't know. Why grayed out? I mean because you know and I think you and I saw this where did we see this last day? There was something grayed out somewhere. It was in Mail app. There was something that was grayed out. It was a label thing, right? Remember? Yeah. We got this question and it was like if if you have an option that doesn't apply why gray it out because then users get upset and confused i, well, I we get I, upset I, and I confused anyway but you know well yeah i mean it's, I mean, it's in our people. nature i mean yeah but still i mean if there's an option that's not available why even show it and have it grayed out because that leads to frustration and then apple in my experience that's not what they do they, they don't want to frustrate us they they want to make us happy and make us uh, you know make the most of our our uh iDevices and Macs and all that stuff. So just a poor UI choice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go, brother. You know, we, we, we rant, I rant about how terrible Time Machine is uh, and how unreliable it is and, and how quirky it is. No, no, no. No, it's true. I rant about that. Um, okay. And oh. for me, it, it's it's a because backing up to Time Machine over the network is horrendous. It's just it's a it. Here's what Apple needs to do. And I'm back into a rant. I was actually going to say something nice about time machine and I will, but it, what's stupid is Apple built the time capsule, right? And they also built time machine, the software 
as part of OS 10. And it's been out since like 2008, right? And the issue is the time capsule is a, it's a router, right? It, and as we talked about at the beginning of the show, yeah. routers, routers can nice, be smart nice devices. Router. They can run Linux. I'm certain the time capsule is running some flavor of OS 10, right? You, you know, at, at its core, I mean, a very stripped down version, but it's, it's gotta have, it's got some smarts. It's doing routing. It's doing sh- sh- uh, file sharing, right? So it's doing some advanced stuff, but what it's not doing is anything to help with time machine time machine. It is, it treats the time capsule, like just any old network drive and a hundred percent of the file maintenance and all of that stuff is left up to the Mac, which is stupid because the Mac then has to do things like this verification over the network, which is terrible. Takes up the time on the Mac. You've got all the, the potential pitfalls of doing stuff over the network. What would be great is if somebody at Apple wrote a little piece of software to install on the time machine or on the time capsule to do all of that stuff and then just let them make it more of a client server scenario like crash plan, right? Where, you know, when the the computer just sends the data and the server, in this case, the time capsule actually does the work of maintaining that backup archive, but it doesn't. So that's why time machine sucks. It's great if you're backing up to a, a local drive. Uh, it works awesome. But do you, do you disagree? No, no, I'm with you. But uh, I think that one thing that you and I have dug into and you know, I'll touch upon it is that the fundamentals of how the Mac stores files um, doesn't necessarily, based on what I think you more than I have seen, Dave, is that a time machine doesn't necessarily take some of the nuances of the Apple file system into account, uh, which leads to when we see situations where it says, oh, well, it's, you know, corrupted. Sorry, you know, game over. You got to regenerate it again. And that there's a mismatch between how, uh, are you with me here? Um, yeah, yeah, no, that, I, that's I thought true. You mentioned it in the past. And but the, that has the, nothing to do with this. The, 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 this issue happens with, anything where you're doing where you're moving data across the network and a hundred percent of the uh of the of the lifting the light lifting and the heavy lifting Mm -hmm. is left up to the client machine it should just be able to say here's the like crash plan does this right if there's a problem with my backup archive my computer does not do the maintenance on it it waits while the server does the maintenance on it and that's what needs to happen here it's it's stupid but you're right. Time Machine also makes some weird things the way it does hard links. Uh, H, it's that HFS Plus doesn't actually support hard links. Uh, right. And that, files. That, that was, That's that was the, the technical issue. nuance that I think, uh, yeah, I wanted you to expand on. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's not. I don't know if they've necessarily updated it to uh, handle the task as well as it should. Yeah. But anyway, Jared writes and, and, and it's a good corollary to our rants here good he says i have two different user accounts on my mac one for work and one for personal my work account is disposable as it uses pre-created demo content that gets updated fairly regularly when an update comes out to that content i nuke the existing user account and then create a new one i had to update that user account recently so i went through the process i just described after several weeks of working in the account i needed to update a numbers document and much to my chagrin realized that i hadn't saved it from the user account that i had nuked Uh oh 
That's when Time Machine blew my mind. I opened a Finder window and navigated to the Users folder at the root of my hard drive and then entered the Time Machine interface. I scrolled back in time through several weeks of backups, and lo and behold, my old user account reappeared. At that point, I was able to dig out the last copy of the file that I needed and restored it to my desktop. The only issue I had here was because I was restoring from an old user account, permissions were wonky on that file, and I wasn't immediately able to open it. So I opened the files inspector, I added my current user into the permissions, and boom, I had my document back in action. The moral of the story is that although Time Machine is not my primary or even my secondary backup plan, it most certainly has its uses, and I highly recommend users turning it on if they haven't. And Jared, that is exactly the reason I have it turned on, because there are times when Time Machine's restore interface is awesome. If the data's out there, there's nothing easier than getting the, your data back that way, unless you've got a clone, right? I mean, that's just a simple copy. But in terms of navigating backup archives and actually finding something that you want, Time Machine's interface is awesome. And it works, you know, everybody understands it. So, so there you go. That's the... Uh, that's the that's the flip side, John, if you will, of the uh, of the rant that we must do about time machine from time to time to time. And John, it is that time where all good what things must come it, to an end. Well, actually, based on my clock, it's six fifty four p.m. Eastern, Eastern Standard Time. Standard? Are we, are we standard? I am. Well, I'm pretty good, Dave. pretty sure you are. Uh, uh, I would hope so. <laughs> Though oddly enough, one of our friends in the chat room here, uh, she's in Arizona, and you know what? They're just whack out there. No, they they've observe. got it right. Well, I think that both they and I think Indiana and a couple of other states, uh, Hawaii maybe, but there are a few uh, uh, rogue states in, in our union that do not observe this uh, time shift. In, in that which, uh, sense, I consider those places intellectually advanced. <laughs> In that sense, I need to be careful how I say that. But, uh, but yes. Well, well, why don't we just all observe coordinated universal time? You know, via. Oh, what, what about Swatch's internet time? Let's use that. Uh, you know, Dave. <laughs> well, that's just as stupid as anything time, else. Yes. You know, Dave, I think the time has come where we have to tell people how they can get in touch with us. And if I wanted to get in touch with us, Dave, I think the primary. Or perhaps secondary and try... Eh, I don't even know the word. But, d d Dave, I, I gotta stop babbling. The way I would do it, Dave, is I would write an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Yes, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, I believe. And I agree with you, brother. It, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can email us texts, pictures, screenshots, videos. Uh, we've seen it all. Well, we haven't okay. seen it all. Yeah, cookies. Email cookies. That's right. But not your browser cookies. Unless they tell... Or actually, wings. we have had or chicken people. wings. How about wings? You're the wing king, right? No, I'm the sauce boss today. That's right. Or, or your son's the wing king, right? My son was the... Why? I don't know. Yes, something like that. Sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a very spicy lunch. It was good. The kids were... The kids loved it. They, um, they like seeing me sweat, so it was good. But, uh, yeah... That's that you can send us anything there, and it's really handy uh, when you send no, screenshots not... and all that good stuff. So yes, well yeah, the the more uh, yeah text is good, but yeah screenshots. Um, but Dave, there's another email address. I, 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 I 
It's premium at MacGeekGab.com. And that is for those of you that are direct premium supporters of what we do here at MacGeekGab. You can check that out. We've been getting a a, a, thank you uh, for all of you that are premium members. Uh, We've had quite a few new signups recently. A lot of you uh, just had renewals uh, because you had signed up initially. And and this is sort of that time when when those renewals all sort of happen. Uh, so thank you so much. You, you, your support is very much appreciated, very much noticed. Uh, and we are happy to have you as listeners and supporters. Premium at MacGeekGab.com is the email address that you all can use uh, to send us questions. And while we endeavor to go through every piece of email that we get and provide a response, uh, we prioritize the stuff sent to Premium. And we, we certainly appreciate that. So if you want to learn about that, MacGeekGab.com is where you can... Uh, you can learn all about how that works. Indeed. But Dave, that's not all. I'm going to tell you, you know where else you can reach us, Dave? I, I think you could go to, uh, well, oh, there's so many, but I'm, I'm going to Pick start one. with the Twitters. The Twitters. So, or Twitter. Twitter.com. He is Dave Hamilton. I am John Efron. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab. The publication is Mac Observer. That it is. You can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekGab or on Google Plus. It's plus.google.com slash the plus sign MacGeekGab podcast. And of course, as we mentioned, MacGeekGab.com slash stream is the chat room. We definitely want to thank, in addition to all of you, uh, we want to thank Michael Johnston. So I will thank all of you. Thank you. And also thank you, Michael Johnston, for taking this show, converting it to AAC, adding all those chapters and all of that good stuff. Uh, I know uh, most of our listeners listen that way, and most of those love it. So uh, so it's awesome. Also, thank dude, the folks. Yeah. Dude, the, uh, the Cool Stuff Found episode yeah. was a monumental Oh, undertaking yeah. both on my part for the show notes but also on michael's part yeah oh my gosh there must have been like 30 or 40 chapters it it is it's a and then i you know after all of all of that is done i send out notes to everyone whose stuff or products or company that we mentioned so yes it is it's a lot well, of extra I think, work i think you're still working on that i mean oh my gosh yeah. we we we, we we went crazy. It was fun, but that's I like those. Our listeners are crazy. That's Not right. Crazy. No, you're 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 it's good. you're grounded. But it was a no. You're a, grounded. A, amazing. You're in trouble. No, you're not. In trouble. <laughs> All right. Cashfly. dot com. C a c h e f l y. dot com is. Uh, where you find the folks at Cashfly. They're great folks, and they provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you, and uh, they do it very quickly. Podcast Marketplace includes BB Edit and Yojimbo from Barebone Software, Text Expander, PDF Pen from Smile, Gazelle.com to sell back all your old Apple stuff, Squarespace.com slash MGG for your web building and hosting, and of course, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash MGG, and Connected Data. All great stuff we've got uh, this month. Anything else, Dave? I mean, there has to be something. So I'm I'm going away for a week here, John. We're going to be back next weekend, uh, and that's all fine and good. But but you know, I'm not going to be here to watch over all of you. So I need to make sure you follow this one piece of advice, and that is, please, whatever you choose to do, don't get caught. Made up.